It's good to see each of you here tonight and uh, uh, thankful for the live stream audience that's listening in this evening as we continue in our Second Kings study. We're at chapter 3 this evening and uh, we'll get right into that here in a moment. I, I just want to thank each of you for being here and let you know, last Wednesday night, if you came out for the, the sing that we did with Church of Christ, let me tell you, that was fun. And if you were not there, I'm, 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 being, I'm being serious, as if a pastor isn't serious normally, you know. But, but no, you would have loved it. It was really good, really good. And uh, I think Brenton, uh, working with their staff, we're going to do this again at some point in the future. So you'll have another chance. And uh, we enjoyed it so much. And it was just good fellowship between the two churches. Their pastor, his name is Tracy. I've known Tracy for a number of years. And he's just a gracious man. And he actually led it. And, uh, and so, you know, they, they, they go as high as four-part harmony. And he's, he's a good singer himself. And I thought, I said to Rini, I leaned in and I said, honey, I could never be a pastor here because I can't sing worth a ding-dong. you got to be a really good singer to, to be in this church. So, no, that was good. We had fun. Uh, just want to thank you again for, for coming out. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, tonight as we study the Word of God, may it really grip our hearts. May the truth of your Word come alive in us. May the Holy Spirit, use it to convict us where we need conviction. Uh, he, he would prompt us where we need prompting, and He would encourage us where we need comfort and encouragement. And we thank You that all of this is the work of the Spirit, not the work of a man. And may I decrease so that You might increase, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, tonight, we're going to study uh, chapter 3. This is where Israel and, and Judah go up against Moab. And there are three kings that gather against the Moabites. The third king would be from Edom. And so the first three verses give us really just a summary here of Jehoram's reign. This Jehoram would be the king of the northern kingdom. His father was Ahab, who was an extremely wicked king. And Jehoram isn't as bad as his dad, but he's still wicked, okay? So verse 1, in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria. That's the northern kingdom. And he reigned for 12 years. He did, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother. For he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from it. Uh, if you remember, the, the sin of Jeroboam was that he actually legislated the worship of false gods. And so he's still uh, supporting these false gods, but he, at least he took down the, the Baal statue at the Baal temple, which his father had erected. And uh, so the first thing we should remember is that Jehoram came from an extremely dysfunctional family. It says he did evil, but not as bad as his mom and dad. His dad being King Ahab, his mom being Jezebel. 
uh, the most wicked woman mentioned in the entire Bible, Jezebel. And so how this guy came out better than them, I'll never know. He had a lot going against him, uh, but he's still not a good king, okay? Now, uh, the sins of Jeroboam, I, I, as I said, he, he, didn't keep, he didn't keep the statue of Baal at the Baal temple, but he also didn't denounce Baal. And interestingly, as I studied deeper, I learned that that statue that he took down, he never destroyed. And later in his life, that statue shows up again. So who is this guy, Jehoram? Well, he's a leader who, unlike his parents that were blatant in their public sin and calling Israel to sin, he puts off an air of not being as sinful. He doesn't want you to know all of his wickedness. And neither does he claim to be, or, or, or does he try to bring righteousness. So he's a king who keeps quiet, keeps his, his public life, does not reveal what he does privately, okay? Which probably, in a, in a sense, is worse than a king who just comes right out and tells you everything. You see, you can, okay, I know that guy's evil. This guy plays the political game. And the commentaries, the theologians, believe that the reason he took down that Baal statue was not a spiritual reason, but a political reason. It was a strategy that he used. So this is the guy that now will reign for 12 years over Israel. Um, I, I want to share this with you because... You, you've, got, you've got Jehoram, who doesn't tell you everything that he thinks. He did it for a political reason. In other words, he knew that because his father was so wicked and the people were so fed up with his dad, he thought, I'm going to take down something that they hate that my dad did, and they'll think better of me. So he took it down, stored it, so that later after the people eased up in their anger, he would be able to put it back up again, okay? He knew Israel wouldn't allow him, even as wicked as Israel was, would be upset if he left that up there because it's, they saw his dad through that. In our day, evil presents itself, wickedness presents itself out in the open, and nobody gets upset about it. Jehoram is unlike our president, President Biden, who this last weekend gave an interview at the White House to a man who transitioned who wanted to be not a woman, a girl, a young girl. He asked the president this question. 
Do you think states should have the right to ban gender-affirming health care? Listen to our president's public answer. I don't think any state or anybody should have the right to restrict that. Listen to the next words in the sentence. As a moral question and as a legal question, I just think it's wrong. Our president is saying that men transitioning to be a woman, or in this case, a girl, to go against that is immoral. Talk about turning the table upside down. Morally speaking, the President of the United States is revealing his own perverse views, and the nation doesn't seem to do anything about it because the media won't speak against it. Hollywood, the celebrity, won't speak against it. Movies affirm it. I mean, it, we, we are in a different place. Think about Jehoram. Wanted to take down the statue of Baal because he knew the people. It would just rub them the wrong way. In our day, our president at the White House is interviewed by this person who thinks he's a little girl. And he comes out and says, if you stand against what is going on, you're immoral. Dr. Albert Moeller, one of my favorite uh, uh, theologians, he's the president of Southern Seminary up in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. It's a Southern Baptist seminary. Used to be a liberal seminary. And he went in there and he turned that thing on its head. And it is now a bastion of conservative thought at Southern Seminary. He has a webpage, almoller.com, and he does, if you like podcasts, which I do, because when I walk, I like to play them, he has a podcast called uh, The Daily Briefing. It'd be worth your time. But in his podcast, he said this regarding this event this weekend at the White House. Let's keep in mind, this is a quote, let's keep in mind no previous president of the United States would dare to have taken the political risk of inviting into the White House someone who is living out this act of live public sexual perversion. Giving that individual the credibility as a, of a presidential interview and then gladly trumpeting and his unrestricted affirmation that children and teenagers should have access to life-altering surgery. And he has, also, uh, he has also said that any opposition to this kind of surgery is immoral. Well, that is our day. Jehoram was wicked, but he didn't let everything out. In our day, even the President of the United States can just come out with anything and everything. Even we've moved as a nation from natural sexual sin to unnatural perversion sin, sexual perversion sin. That, that, is, that is what's happened over the last, since the 1960s, the sexual revolution. But guess what? The sexual revolution 
was evil. It was sick. It was sinful, okay? People sleeping around. But at least it was for the, you know, 99%, it was natural. Men getting with women. Today, that's nothing. That's, that's just common. That happens all the time. But now it's perversion sin. It's pedophilia. It's, it's somebody who's pansexual. Pansexual means that you believe you can, you can have this, this sexual attraction to anything. Turned on by anything. That's how perverse. Now let's compare that with what just happened at the White House. What's going on for Jehoram? In a public meeting with cameras rolling, our president make a, made a public declaration for perversion sin. Listen. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a, and this is like the third time God gives up. God first gave up because of the, 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 the senses. They were living by the senses. The second time he gives them up to perversion sin. First time was sexual immorality. Second time is perversion, sexual immorality. And now, it says, he, he gives them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. A debased mind, a reprobate mind, a mind that is incapable of thinking rightly any longer. You started with natural sin, and then you went into perversion sin, and it doesn't stop there. It keeps going. People don't set out on day one and say, I think I'll enjoy bestiality in my life. They start out with sexual lust. Most people for the opposite sex. Some people have this natural inclination towards same sex. And people get hung up when a pastor says that. Oh, don't give in to that. Don't, don't say that they have a natural inclination. They do. They do. But let me just share with you. I also have a natural inclination to lust. Every man has, is tempted to lust, okay? But we don't follow through on it. We don't entertain it. We don't give place for it to set into our mind. You have to fight against that. And as you fight against it, God gives you more strength. And as you have more strength, that fight, that temptation becomes less and less. So whether your inclination is towards somebody of the same sex or opposite, it doesn't really matter. God, by the Holy Spirit, can give you what you need to not give in to it. 
But because you give into it, after a while, it's not enough. And now it goes into the perversion sins. Now it's, it's uh, incest, it's same sex, it's change my, my, my gender, um, so how people see me. Uh, then it goes into just all kinds of, of terrible sin, pedophilia. And they say when you get to that point where you are, the science has proven this. Now, it'd be interesting, I haven't done this study. I'd love to just do a little study research on how science and psychology views pedophilia today. They used to say it is a warped mind. The person is off, way off, that would be enticed and lust after children. Okay, well, they used to say the same thing about homosexuality. The, the psychology, it used to say that there's something warped in there, there's something wrong. So things have changed in our nation. It goes from bad to worse to worse. And finally, it says God gives up to a reprobate mind. You're so far in to perversion sin, you cannot think straight. You can't make sense. It doesn't make sense. What makes sense to you is the opposite of what is true. Can you imagine being that, that messed up that God hands you over to a reprobate mind? And that's what He does. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Tell me, if you, just think about the world today unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Try to find a movie, a modern movie, that doesn't have those, those things happening in it. You'll be hard-pressed. By the way, uh, one, there's a new uh, network. I can't think of the name of it right now. I just downloaded it, an app. And they're they're doing movies, but they're they're it's Christian based. Then there's another, yeah, you know the name of it. Yeah, okay. Well, an, another one is called Pure Flicks. You guys seen that one? I don't think it's Christian based, although there are a lot of Christian movies in it. Is it Christian based? Okay, good. So so you but you have to go searching for this, and thank God. He's moving in some people who won't sit on the sideline and allow this to happen. They're rising up against Hollywood, against, and they're creating these networks and the, these movies that we can watch. Thank God for that. Where it's not about deceit, strife, murder, and maliciousness. He says, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithful, uh, faithless, Heartless, ruthless, they know, listen, listen, this is interesting. This is what the Bible says about those who fall into this trap. Listen, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's what our president did this weekend, gave full approval. Think about one of our children. Now, you don't even want your children to, to hear or see the president on television for what might come out of his mouth. I would never want one of my children when they were small 
to hear him talk the way he did this weekend. But this is what we have to do as Christians to guard and protect. But we also have to stand up in our day. We have to stand. We don't, we're not trying to fight anybody, but we're going to contend for the truth. We're going to call out lies when it's a lie, and we're going to speak the truth in love. We have to do that, church. We have to do that. And, and we're seeing this play out before our eyes. And what is our response? What is the church to do about it? I fear that many churches will do nothing. Nothing with the sexual revolution that's before us. Our world today, in large part, has transitioned from natural to unnatural sin. We talk about it among ourselves. We shake our heads as Christians. We can't believe that that's actually going on in our country today. But it is. So it's, it's time to stop talking about it in private and stop shaking our heads in disapproval. We've got to do something. Where's the church that boldly proclaims in love the truth of God's Word? Where's the church? Where's the church? Where are the saints who meet together to pray for the protection of our children? Where's the anguish? Where's the anguish in the church? Remember back when uh, Israel, I'm sorry, Judah was hauled off into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And towards the end of the 70 years, Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to the king in Babylon, and Nehemiah gets word from the home country, from Israel, that the walls of the city of Jerusalem have fallen, that the city lies in waste, that other armies can now walk in and trample over the graves of the forefathers. And it says that Nehemiah went into a season of prayer and fasting. Nehemiah was overtaken with anguish. Anguish. That's what it is. That's what we need today. We need to we need to anguish over the sin of this nation. We need to have prayer groups meeting. I know that Jerry O'Connell has wanted to get the uh, Thursday or the Tuesday morning prayer group meeting again at the office. They meet around 10 a.m. And if you'd like to be part of that, the purpose of it is to pray for the saints, to pray for the church, pray for the things that we're doing, our missionaries. But it's also... Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for our children that their minds, their little minds and their hearts would be protected from this evil onslaught. Anguish. Anguish means to feel extreme pain and distress. Anguish is to be deeply moved in your emotions because of the severe conditions around you. To anguish over sin is to feel deep pain and sorrow for the sake of God's heart. God feels anguish over the sins that people commit today. We, we're His children. We should reflect His heart. I, I just, I don't know that we, would, that we really grasp how, how bad things are. Because it you know, it's like the lights in here. If, if the dimmer switch 
turns off one degree at, a, at every hour. How, how, you'll never notice the lights going dim. But after a day or two, you're in the dark and you don't know it because your eyes have adjusted ever so slowly. We've gotten used to the dark all around us. God, send anguish among the people at Vero Bible Fellowship for this, the, these deep sins. and the, We should grieve over them. We should have sorrow in our hearts. I wept today as I thought about this. I, I want to come back Sunday, and I want to talk a little bit more about this. I, I feel like we've got to... I don't know what God would want us to do. I'm not trying to create some project. I do know that God wants us to pray. I, I think that's the beginning point. We've got to pray and ask God, how do we stand? Give us boldness, not just as a church, but as a member. Look, the church is the people. Give every person who belongs to Vero Bible Fellowship boldness to lovingly speak the truth. I've shared this before. Let me just say it again. Uh, when I was being uh, attacked, persecuted by the LGBTQ plus community in in this area, in Indian River County, for preaching against sexual sin. I didn't just preach on homosexuality. I did one Sunday, and, and people, I can't tell you how many people uh, either called or texted or emailed and said, please, Pastor, teach on that again next week. Teach on it. We need to understand it. And I, before that, I had taught on adultery. I taught on fornication. I taught on all the sexual sins. I didn't just teach on homosexuality, but that community rose up against me. I was under attack, and it went on for like about four or five months. I've got a, a, a Cindy Hazelwood put a, a notebook together for me. She had saved every article in the, in the press journal and all the letter to editors that people had written, and it's just loaded with, I mean, like on a... Probably every other day there was another blurb about it. Just anger that I would preach against that and I would preach it as a sin. And in the message, if you listen, at the end of the message, I said, let me tell you why we're covering this subject. Number one, because it's in the Bible. This is not a political statement. This is in the Bible. It's number two, so that you would understand that sexual sin from a biblical view and you would be able then to better communicate with those who are caught up in it, to love them, not to hate people. We didn't preach that to, to create hate mongers. We preached it that people might understand it better, that they would then reach out and love people who get caught up in that kind of sexual sin. And I'll never forget, I was in the throes of all this nonsense. It was crazy. And God had sustained me. I wasn't losing hope or heart. Uh, uh, this was months after I had preached the sermons. But interestingly, I got a letter from Chuck Colson, and he said, Greg, uh, word has reached me that you are really under attack uh, for standing up against the LGBTQ plus community. And here's what he said. Now, he has a national audience. He has a national ministry, uh, pr prison fellowship. He said this. He said, I have learned that wherever the, the homosexual community 
gets loud and broadcasts their sin publicly, that the church falls silent. The church just goes into their shell. We're like we're a bunch of hermit crabs. Like we're, we're ostrich, you know? The trouble comes, oh, bloop, stick our head down in the sand. Every once in a while, stick it up and look around. Oh, oh still there. God help us. God help us. Elisha has now taken over for Elijah, who was caught up into heaven in a whirlwind. And Elijah does not play games. Elijah comes with the forcefulness of the Word of God. And I don't mean the Bible. I'm talking about God speaking to Elijah because he's a prophet. And he does not back down. He calls sin, sin. And we're going to even see that here as we look forward. And I'll try to get back on track. Um, but honestly, I'm, I'm so burdened right now. I, I don't even know, I don't know how to pray, what God would have me pray. I, I think sometimes I, I'm just leaning on the Spirit to, to groan before the Father. He knows exactly what, and He'll reveal what, what I am to do as a pastor. And, and He'll reveal what you're to do. He'll, he'll help us to stand against what's happening. It's not that we're trying to fight people. Please don't get that picture in your mind. It's Jude says, God has called us to contend for the faith that was once for all passed down by the saints. Contend. That does have a, a sense of fighting. It's contending for. In other words, where the world says, that's not truth. You're a, you're a hate monger. We come back with, no, that's not true. We love you. And we're going to speak the truth even though you don't want to hear it and even though you want to turn us to be the hate monger. You know, if you can't stop someone, then you've got to demonize them. And that's what the world will do to any Christian who tries to stand on truth. Well, we got to stand. Amen? All right. So verse 4, now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he had to deliver to the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and the wool of a hundred thousand rams. But when Ahad died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So for a long time, uh, Moab has been subservient to Israel. And now, all of a sudden, now that King Ahab, this wicked king, is dead, he's going to just spread his wings and fly and do it his, do it his way. So he's ready now, thinking that Jehoram, the son of Ahab, is weak. And we will rise up now as a people, and we will overtake Israel. That's what he's up to here. Uh, the Moabites, by the way, lived on the, on the eastern side of the Dead Sea. Uh, they were under tribute to Israel, and they are fed up with it, and they now are ready to attack. And they must be a large number. You'll see why, why I say that here in a moment. So the king Jehoram, verse 6, marched out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. So Jehoram knows that they're going to fight, so he musters his troops up 
And he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. So he's going to appeal to the southern kingdom to join him in this battle against Moab. He said, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to battle against Moab? And Jehoshaphat said, I will go. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, by which way shall we march? And Jehoram answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. So get the picture. Okay, so here's the Dead Sea. And over here to the east, you have the Moabites. And below the Moabites is the land of Edom, the Edomites. And so now uh, you've got Jehoram in the north of, above the Dead Sea. And you've got, you've got uh, Jehoshaphat who's around the Dead Sea in that region. They're going to come down and they're going to go up through Edom and they're going to attack. Okay? But it actually tells us about that here. He says, by which way shall we march? And Jehoram said, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the two nations, Judah and Israel, come together to fight this common enemy. Jehoram of Israel asked Jehoshaphat of Judah for military advice because Jehoshaphat was much more of a battle-experienced leader. The king of Judah advised Jehoram to attack Moab from the south. So, verse 9, the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. So while they're going through Edom, they had an alliance with Edom. That's why they could travel through there. They said, why don't you come with us? So the king of Edom said, well, I'll join you. So you've got three kings coming up against Moab. That tells you how large uh, the Moabite people are, that three kings had to come up against them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give Israel into the hand of Moab. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Let me, let me, I missed a very important passage. Verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And when they had made a circuitous uh, march of seven days, there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Now, if you understand that territory that they're traveling through in Edom, it's a wilderness, it's a desert. And now they've been out there long enough, seven days, that the men are thirsty and there's no water anywhere. So the northern kingdom king, Jehoram, who's evil, his first response is, well, God put us out here so Moab could overtake us. He takes a negative view. Why? Because he knows he's in sin against the one true God, and he thinks God is bringing judgment against him. When you're in the wrong, the last guy you want to hang out with is God. He's the last one you want to see. Because you're thinking all the time, he's going to get me. And that's Jehoram, okay? Then the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, who was a good king, a faithful king, he said, alas, the Lord has called uh, these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. That, uh, that's the northern kingdom. And, and then verse 11, and Jehoshaphat, the southern king, the good king, he said, is there no prophet of the Lord here? through whom we may inquire of the Lord. So you got one who's panicking because he thinks God's bringing judgment. You got the other one who's walking by faith 
He doesn't even respond to that knucklehead in the north. He just says, where's the man of God that we might inquire? Let's, let's turn this over to a man of God. Then one of the kings of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of the Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. That's a great phrase. He poured water on the hands of Elijah. In other words, he was the one that tended to Elijah. He served Elijah. Before he ever became the prophet of God like Elijah, he first started out serving Elijah. That's a wonderful way to come up. That The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and in due season, He will lift you up. Any person who tries to lift themselves up is not going, that's going to be a flesh lift. It's not a spirit lifting. So you want, to, you want to work on humbling. You want to work on going down. You want to work on serving others. You want to find someone who's ahead of you in the faith, and you want to find ways to serve them and stay near to them and learn from them and grow under their tutelage. And in due season, God will begin to lift you up because you move from being a spiritual babe under them to a spiritual young man or woman. And then finally, God says, I'm going to make you a spiritual father or I'm going to make you a spiritual mother. I'm ready to use you in a special way. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So Jehoshaphat, he's, he's like positive. Let's just get the man of God out here. Oh, oh, oh uh, Elisha is? Okay, well, let's get him here. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Uh, and Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. He's speaking directly to who? Jehoram, the wicked king in the north. What, are, what, what makes you think I'm going to talk to you? You want answers? Go seek the prophets of your parents. Go seek the idols of your parents if you want help. Wow, calling him out. Remember I said earlier, Elisha don't play? Elisha calls it the way he sees it. You're in sin. You know, it's interesting. Christians, we, we, we make this mistake. So somebody who we have ministered to on several occasions, trying to help them get out of the way of themselves, helping them to recover. And once again, they fall. And some Christian comes up to us and they say, oh, we've just got to do something to help them. We've just got to do something. And you're like, uh, yeah, look, here's what we ought to do. Go and confront them and say, you're in the place you're in because you didn't obey the word of the Lord and you didn't take the advice that we gave you from the Bible. There's a reason why you are where you are. We're not going to bail you out. We are going to pray for you. Okay, here, here's the first prayer. Uh, Lord, don't let them die in the place of misery that they're in. We pray that they will turn it around. Secondly, Lord, teach them the lessons that they need to learn in this place. And in your timing, bring them out of it. See, that's a healthy, biblical, spiritual, mature prayer for someone. But we get Christians who get in the way of that. Oh, they just need our help. We've just got to do something special for them. Oh, they just really love. It can happen, right? And we've got to be careful. Elisha didn't play that game. Elisha called out the king of the north. 
But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. Wow. So here he is still bellyaching. The Lord's out to get us. He's going to give us over to the Moabites. And, and he's like, uh, it's a good thing Jehoshaphat is here with you because I will seek the Lord for his sake because he follows God. He desires to follow God. I'm not interested in seeking God for your sake. God's already spoken to you. Repent. You've had prophet after prophet go to your parents and those before him, and, and Israel's never repented. But now, listen to what Elisha said. Elisha is an interesting guy. We're gonna, I'm telling you, we're going to have fun with these stories. Okay, Chapter 4 is pretty good too. But here he says, But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. Wow. So listen now. God, music is a powerful tool that can be used for good or for evil. Uh, when God created Lucifer, and he is a created, Satan is a created being. But when he created Lucifer, literally Lucifer was, he was like, he was this angel that had embedded jewels. He was beautiful. And of course, music. He was the, he was the musician in heaven. And, and so there he is. And of course, he rises up out of pride. Look at me, aren't I? I'm as good as God. I can do what God's doing. Let's go ahead and overtake God. And of course, God said, that ain't happening. And so a whole third, 33% of the angels of heaven were cast out of heaven with Lucifer. Isn't that interesting? But he started out being a beautiful, it was like he was an instrument, a beautiful instrument. Music can be used for good, it can be used for evil. Last week, last Wednesday night, man, that was, that was really good stuff. Really good. Did you guys enjoy it? That was wonderful. And, and then... Uh, uh, I, 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 this, I, I was listening on YouTube. I brought up uh, a video of uh, Luciano uh, Pavarotti uh, when he was uh, a young man, and he was singing in an opera. And he, you know, he, he was young, he was thin, and he had this all this heavy makeup on in this role that he was in. And he was singing, and he got to the end of the song, and he held, he went up, and he held that note, I'm telling you, for the longest time, I thought, he, he, all the way through, he had all this control of this strong voice. And at the end, he just holds it forever. And then I brought up a YouTube video of him as an older man. It actually said, the last time that he sang that song, okay? in a public setting, and he still held it. He still had it. It was incredible. And I, I literally thought, 
if man, if man's music, his voice, can be that good, because I gotta, I gotta tell you, when he would sing, it made me think of heaven. What's heaven gonna be like? What's the music, the worship in heaven gonna be like? And God has used worship. He's used songs to bring victory. Give me an example. Call it out, one of the Old Testament stories. The walls of Jericho. The water. Listen, he put, he put, the, he put the instrumentalists and the, the musicians on the front side as they were crossing over. So you've got all these, these places where God has used music because it's powerful. Here, Elisha says, bring me a musician. And in the midst of the musician playing, I, wouldn't you love to know what he played? What kind of music was it? And Whether it was soothing or what was it? And all of a sudden, God began to speak to Elisha. And uh, let's, let's look at this. By the way, the Scripture does tell us that we should be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians and that we should edify with songs, hymns, and spiritual psalms. So we should, we should be using music as part of our worship of God. And just to encourage your heart, it, it, it's not just for people who have beautiful voices. You get to sing too. Those of us who don't have a good voice, we get to sing too. Now, we won't invite you to be, sing a solo in church. But we, we, we should all, on Sunday mornings, we should all sing out. Amen? And Jehoshaphat, verse 11, I'm sorry, uh, verse 16, and he said, thus says the Lord, this is Elisha, he says, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. Now, Elisha's not going to do that. That's what God gave Elisha to say to them. God's going to do this. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain. Now, the, the, these pools are going to come up, and, but not because of wind or rain. But that stream bed shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. I love that. This is nothing to the Lord. This is a light thing to God. He will also give the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree and stop up all the springs of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. So God has really given them their marching orders. This is how you're going to handle things. This is what I'm going to do, and this is what you're going to do. I'm going to do my part by performing a miracle. You're going to do your part that I'm telling you I need you to do. See, with every Christian, there's a good work that God wants us to do. You cannot just sit back on your laurels and talk about the past and serving here and going there and this mission trip and act like you've really done all these wonderful things for God and now you're doing nothing for God. It doesn't work. You still have to serve. There's always a work when you belong to the family of God. Amen? And we need to be about that work. So God promised to send water to the valley but they had to dig these ditches to catch what God would provide. They had to dig the ditches. And by the way, they had to dig the ditches before the water showed up. 
God always seems to work faith in there, doesn't he? He wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. He didn't say, okay, look over there. The water's starting to come. Start digging. <laughs> he, he says, there, there's nothing over there. Start digging. And then as, as they were digging, and they'd come to the conclusion of that, God provided the waters that filled these ditches. And if we expect for God to move in our behalf, which really should be His behalf, right? Honestly, don't ever ask for something that's not God's will. So if that's what we're doing, God will most of the time require us to walk by faith before He does it. It's just the way He is. You know, right now as a church, we can take this back to Bureau Bible Fellowship. So right now as a church, um, we don't have a building. And it's been four years since we started the fellowship. And, and there are going to always be people, a, a few, who just get frustrated. When? When? Should have happened by now. It doesn't take that long to buy a piece of property. And the reality is we're not looking to buy a piece of property. We're looking to join God in the property that He has for us. There's a difference there. One requires us to be patient and wait on the Lord. And right now, by the way, we're, there's a property that we're looking at, and within the next couple, three weeks, we should hear uh, what they're asking for the property, and they're going to give us an opportunity to move on it um, before they publicize it. So there's the favor of God. But now here's the cool thing. So we should always start our work when God says start and not wait until after He provides and then go to work. So here's what we've been doing for four years. The Lord has moved upon the body to just give above their regular tithe or offering to the Lord. And now sitting in the bank is over a million dollars. Why? Because we as a fellowship are preparing for what we truly believe God is going to do one day. I would love for it to be next month that we learn that we're going to have a piece of property. But that would be Greg. Uh, it might be another four years. I, I hope not. It could be a lot longer. Did you know the average church plant, I looked this up, I couldn't believe it. The average church plant, it takes 15 years to buy property. That's average. 15 years. One church in California that started in somebody's home, and then they kept growing and kept looking for property, and they, as they grew, they had to keep moving. They moved 22 times before they finally landed in the, a piece of property that they could have a building. Now, God does it differently everywhere. I don't care to follow some man's idea in California. I don't care to try to mimic anybody. Uh, our God can give us a building, you know, next week. Praise God. Four years is plenty for me. That's good. Okay, let's move forward. No complaint here. But, but we will wait on the Lord. And we will let God lead us. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat has in mind. Let's seek the Lord. Let's see what God says. And God says through the prophet, Hey, start digging some ditches because God's going to bring all the water. Wait, we're in a dry and thirsty desert. 
what are you talking about? Water. Where is it going to come from? And, and the prophet said it's not going to be rain. So uh, what's going to happen? It doesn't matter. Just prepare. Do what God tells you to do when he tells you to do it. Amen? Verse 20. The next morning about the time of offering the sacrifice, behold, water came from the direction of Edom till the country was filled with water. This is, by the way, not a natural process. Edom didn't have that much water to fill that wilderness area. This is a divine intervention of God. This is a miracle of the Lord. So God, maybe He sent a downpour into Edom, and the waters flooded over like a flash flood, and it went into the desert, and it filled up the ditches. But the people in the ditches didn't see any rain. Now, I'm just guessing. I don't know what happened. All I know is God did it. One thing I know for sure, the Lord did it. Amen? Verse 21, And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to put on armor from the youngest to the oldest were called out and were drawn up at the, at the border. And when they rose early in the morning and the sun shone on the water, the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. Interesting. There's no mention of any blood in the water. God didn't say, I'm going to put blood in the water to throw them off. God just said, I'm going to take care of the Moabites. You're going to win the battle. Because it was early morning, it's possible that it was a red sky. And as they looked at the water, it looked red. Who knows? I don't know. I'm, get, I'm postulating here, okay? I don't have a clue. But the reality is, God put a fear in the Moabites. And when they rose early in the morning and, they, and, and the sun shone on the water, the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely fought together and struck one another down. They're thinking they all fought against each other. And then Moab said to, said, uh, then Moab to the spoil. But when they had come to the camp of Israel, uh, the Israelites rose and struck the Moabites till they fled before them. And they went forward striking the Moabites as they went. And they threw overthrew the cities and on every good piece of land, every man threw a stone until it was covered, just like the Lord told them to do. They stopped every spring of water and felled all the good trees till only its stones were left in Kahirasath. And the slingers surrounded and attacked it. So the ditches caught the water and saved the armies of the three kings from dehydration. Then God confuses the Moabites, thinking that the three armies have fought against each other, the blood's in the water. And when they got there, they were, they were uh, attacked. They were surrounded, and they lost the battle. They're running away, and God did all of this. God did it all. When we, when we look at chapter 3, you can apply. Listen, if you have a business or you are a leader of a ministry or you're a, whoever, however you serve, uh, there's some wonderful principles you can take from this story uh, about this idea of you dig the ditch before God moves. You, 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 you do the work beforehand. Uh, leadership is hard work. If you're a leader, it's hard work. There's no such thing as a leader who doesn't work hard. You're not a leader if that's the case. 
You might be living on, on past hard work, but believe me, if you stay in that state of, of, of relaxing, uh, your business will go down over time. Digging ditches, like digging ditches, leadership is done with faith. You can't serve the Lord in any ministry without faith. Bottom line, without faith, it is impossible to, to please God. Can't do it. Like digging ditches, leadership must use delegation. They had all the soldiers get a shovel and go after it, man. Let's, let's dig. Like digging ditches, the work of leadership often feels like work without reward. They're digging. And by the way, let me remind you, they're all thirsty. They're dying of thirst. And they're digging, and there's no water anywhere. They're not digging for water. They're walking by faith. That's what it's like when you lead in a ministry oftentimes. It looks barren. It doesn't look like there's anything that's going to be able to make it. I'm going to preach a message in, in, uh, in December on, on the coming of the Lord, you know, the, the birth of Jesus. But tell the story through Isaiah's eyes in the Old Testament. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed it? That he should grow up before the Father as a tender shoot, as a root out of dry ground. There's no way that that little baby Jesus should have made it. He went to the most, you talk about ground zero for war, that's where Jesus was born. You had, a, 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 you had Herod who tried to have all the male children killed to try and take out Jesus. You, you've, got the, you've got the wise men, but you've also got those who are wanting to destroy him from the king. And yet, a root out of dry ground comes forth. A shoot begins to come up, and there's life in it. In a barren wilderness, God can do that in your life. God, it, when things aren't coming through for you, don't give up hope. You have the Lord who understands and knows everything, and He's over you, He will bring you through it. You hold on to Him by faith. Verse 26, when the king of Moab saw that the battle was going against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through opposite the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered his son for a burnt offering on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel, and they withdrew from him and returned to their own land. So the three kings did not completely wipe out the Moabites. When they saw him on the wall literally sacrifice his son, they saw a man who would do anything to stay alive, to win. And they had already decimated the Moabites, so they just turned and went home. We don't need to do any more. We've done enough. They're not going to rise up against us. And, and it's a sad ending, isn't it? How sin will take you further, further down, and then you're doing things you never thought you would ever do. You succumb to it. I don't know any woman who sets out to be a prostitute. I've never heard that story. I've never heard the story of a girl who grew up and her life story or dream was to be a prostitute. No. 
She was broken down because of things in her life, and she could no longer see herself as valuable. And so just to stay alive in many cases, she did what she had to do. Sad. How sin tastes good in the mouth, but it sours in the stomach. Sin will take you farther than you ever want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you a whole lot more than you want to spend. That's what sin does. We must stand pure before the Lord. We must walk in the holiness that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us for. Amen? Father, none of us here are perfect. None of us here have it all together. But God, what we do have is the Holy Spirit who lovingly convicts us, who lovingly strengthens us each day so that we don't have to give in to temptation. Your word said, as the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, <laughs> he said, no man has ever faced a temptation that's not common. And God is faithful that He will give you what you need to endure the pressure of that temptation. And He will make a way of escape for you. So Lord, give us the desire to walk holy before you. And when temptation presents itself, that we would just trust in your word and we would hold on to what we know to be true and you would send brothers and sisters around us to support us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to hold on, and that we would get victory through Jesus Christ. We give you thanks and praise, Lord. Amen. Amen.